Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 139. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. From high atop the stately Lee's Comics mansion, we bring you the Lee's Comics Radio Hour with tonight's special guests, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, Cerebus the Aardvark, and yours truly, Wally Fields. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store, based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale. For half off, choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern age comics, and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar. Scroll down to Sellers and enter Lee's Comics, Inc., period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. Dennis the Menace, originally a comic trick panel introduced in 1951, expanded into a comic book series, an American television series starring Jay North, an animated television series, and subsequent television series, books, and feature films. There's even a chapter on the British version of Dennis the Menace and Dennis' longtime association with Derek Green and his playground. Pocket Full of Dennis the Minutes by Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions explores the entire history of Dennis the Minutes and is available now on Amazon and Fair Manor Media in hardcover, paperback, and ebook versions. Order your copies today. Hey Michael, it says here we've written another book about the monkeys. Wasn't the first one enough? Not at all, Mark. Our original book, Looking for the Good Times, examining the monkey songs one by one, was very successful, but only covered half the story. Which half? The group half. Our new book, Headquartered, a timeline of the monkey's solo years, covers the solo half. Who knew the monkeys record so many solo albums? Not only that, but this book covers all of their solo projects, including stage shows, horse racing, running record labels, directing and starring in TV shows and movies, voice acting, and jail. Jail? Did the monkeys go to jail? Ah, you have to read the book to find out. You sold me. Have you sold them? Who, who, who's them? 
those people out there listening to this. Well, listen to this. This book has discographies, photos, and other information about the Prefab Four, Mickey, Davy, Peter, and Mike, the Solo Monkeys, plus another nifty cover by Scott Shaw. Wow, he did our last cover, and this one's equally good. Where can you get this masterpiece? Announcer. Announcer? That's me. <coughs> get Headquartered, a timeline of the Monkey Solo Years, written by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. Those two guys. It's available in hardback, paperback, or ebook from BearManorMedia.com or from Amazon. Get your copies today. Cool. I'm going to get one today. You can order the TTB scrapbook today at BearManorMedia.com. Currently, it is available in hardcover, but will be available in paperback and ebook soon. Also, it will be available on Amazon and other online platforms soon. I'm currently working on a Popeye article and a Dino Writers article for Back Issue magazine. And, of course, I'm still working on my Mad in Turtles books. On today's show, we have an artist whose work has appeared in Weirdo, Women's Comics, Slut Burger, and more. Here she is, Mary Fleener. Hi, this is Mark Arnold with another Fun Ideas podcast. And on today's show, we have someone who I know is a cartoonist, but apparently she's also a musician and has other things about her illustrious career that we hopefully will talk about in the next hour or so. And this is Mary Fleener. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. So um, I usually start a lot of these shows basically, and since I know you as a, uh, like a comic book or cartoon artist, um, mostly, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in that part of your career. I was born in L.A., Los Angeles, California, and my mother was an artist, so I inherited a lot of the art DNA from her and did art. That's what I did as a kid. That's all I ever wanted to do as a kid. And in fact, the new book that I'm working on, The Happy Hour, I'm talking about this fire that I had in me that um, finally I got it together at age 33 and, and applied myself, as I always tell you, you should. But it, I was a late bloomer, and I started, you know, I did art in high school, printmaking college, you know, printmaking major in college, and I dropped out because uh, it was soul-crushing, and I wanted to play music, and I just said, I don't do art anymore, I want to be a musician, which is also what this book is about. And it's kind of about, you know, following your dream, and they say you should do that. Well, yeah, you should, and I wish I'd done it earlier. So about 1983 or 84, a late friend of mine, a writer named Don Waller, told me about an article that Matt Green had written in the LA Weekly about the new comics, mm -hmm. the new kind of underground comics, not the Zap comics, not arcade, but this whole new, new movement, uh, pretty much started by the Hernandez brothers with Love and Rockets. And the first paragraph went something like this, were you the kid in school that drew during lessons and then when the teacher looked at you you'd crumble off the paper and shove it to the back of the desk and i go that's me <laughs> so i read this article and i just went oh my god this i i just my head exploded and he had the addresses of dennis warden who was doing slur magazine teen angel which was a zine about the 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 new gang thing that was happening that was nobody knew what was going on but there were gangs all of a sudden Raw Magazine and Robert Crumb and the address for Weirdo. Oh. So I, I wrote all of them 
And um, Dennis and I hit it off right away, and we're still good friends to this day. And uh, I remember Crumb sending me a copy of Weirdo Number 10, and I remember opening it up at the mailbox and just like skipping up the street going, oh, my God, Robert Crumb wrote me. Oh, my God, oh, my God. <laughs> and I went in there, and I said, Paul, look, here's Weirdo. I'm going to be in Weirdo. And he goes, how do you know that? I go, I just am. <laughs> Don't argue with me. And so I realized a couple of things. I didn't want to do superheroes. There was a glut. The slots were filled. Um, I always thought Sam Phillips from um, Sun Records was very wise. He said the most important thing to be is original. So I started doing mini comics because I heard about the new mini comic thing. And guys like Pete Bag, he would review a few mini comics in Weirdo. And then uh, there was Fact Sheet 5, which had hundreds of listings. Maximum Rock and Roll, Flipside, all the music magazines would review all the bands and the zines and the comics. Mm -hmm. So there was a small little group of people doing this, but we were sticking together. And I did my first solo comic, Hoodoo, which was adaptations of Zora Neale Hurston stories. And Ray Zone published it, and um, it was only 28 pages, but that was all I could do at the time. I was just, you know, I, I was forging new. I was, I was self self teaching myself. You know, even though I had a fine art background, I always wanted to do comics, but I was trying to get away from the the influence of Robert Crumb because, you know, when I grew up in high school, everybody doodled Mister Natural and and Rick Griffin, Murph the Surf, so it was a real hard monkey to kick. You know. To, try to get rid of that underground style and do something new. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I got started. And anthologies, a lot of anthologies like Weirdo and Rip Off Press, Buzzard, uh, Prime Cuts. Um, uh, God, there were so many sub, what was that sub trip? Sub, oh, that Bumble Puppy or something. There, oh, Centrifugal Bumble Puppy. Yeah, yeah. Everything had to have eight syllables in the title, like the teenage preteen Dirty Jean Kung Fu Kangaroos and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and all that. Anyway, in the 80s, we were considered people that couldn't draw. Mm. We had nothing to say. Guys like uh, Don Thompson from uh, the he was Review Comics, he, he loathed us. All of us alternative people were just, you know, yeah, what are you doing? You don't draw like Jack Kirby. Yeah. And, um, and so a lot of us, I, I, for one, me too, I used to badmouth Jack Kirby no more. <laughs> no more no more and i recently read about four of will eisner's books and he was what a, what a visionary so i'm sort of catching up from that prejudice but it was you know it was like kind of like us against the fam <laughs> and uh so that's that's kind of how i got started i just did it on my own hmm. diy as they say now how i first heard about you was three different ways the first you already mentioned is weirdo and then years ago, I interviewed you briefly for this long article for Back Issue Magazine about Weirdo. And I, I don't know if you did, but everybody else was like, isn't there a book coming out by John Cook? What happened to that? You know, and then it finally did come out. But I had to tell people I'm doing my article independently of that, you know. But Yeah. Anyway, but uh, and then the, uh, the second way is our mutual friend Lee Hester. Who's yeah. one who he's bugged me for every episode. He says, You should get Mary Fleener on the show. And I go, <laughs> I don't know her that well. And then after I'm looking at things, I go, I think I do actually. It's just that I just didn't always put two and two together. 
And then the third way I, I knew about you originally is uh, you did a brief cleaner comics format graining when you did that short-lived Zongo label when he was doing Bongo. And uh, so that's kind of like my introduction to your work. But uh, Lee was saying, oh, you should read your Slutburger and things. Like that. <laughs> that's really funny. And I, I did take a look at those and I go, yeah, that's my type of material. It, it is surprising, but I think it might be because you said you, you got into it kind of late that you would have been perfect for like the early lampoon or something like that, you know, something like that, you know, but. Well, (laughs) I, I remember picking up national lampoon and just, I, the, the the art was really good. It was really (laughs) good. Like my friend Millie wanted me to be in the new mad. And I said, I am not worthy. I, I don't have that style like Bob Fingerman and, and um, um, Peter Cooper, you know, well, of course, Five versus Five has its own thing. But yeah. uh, I started, when I try to conform and do comics on demand, I usually fall on my face. Mm. I'm really better <laughs> off on my own, plodding along and waiting for inspiration to strike. And yeah. um, I'm more, somebody said it was esoteric, and I think they're right. When mm. I've tried to be funny, um, I, I'm not really that much of a gag meister. And for a while there, I was trying to do political cartoons for a local paper here, editorial things for local political issues. Yeah. And I was successful 60% of the time. <laughs> I was going to ask Which you was, about that, but yeah. What was that yeah, called? Yeah. Uh, it had a name and I wrote it down here. Uh, oh, the less you know, the better you feel. Is that what you the called it? The less you know, the better you feel. Okay. <laughs> and then the other one was just called Maryland. Okay. <laughs> And the Maryland, I I started getting into sort of the Ripley's Believe It or Not territory where you like, uh, (laughs) you walk down the street and keep your eyes open. You never know what's going to happen. You know, funny little things can happen when you least expect it. And most people just have blinders on and go from point A to point B. And I'm such a freak magnet that I never lacked for material when I was doing things just like, like walking, I went to the beach one day. I'm walking along and this guy comes up and he goes, I want to give you this shell. And I go, really? And he goes, yeah, a little girl gave it to me on the beach. And she said, you have a wonderful day. And he goes, isn't that great? He goes, so I'm going to give you this shell. And I'm like going, I love this. <laughs> Some guy I don't know. And he gave me the shell and he walked away singing. And I'm like, God, this is cool. You know, so you do a story about something like that. It, telling a common story in an uncommon way is kind mm-hmm. of, where I'm at, and uh, anyway, Lee Hester's terrific. He tried doing uh, a comic convention one year. Um, I think it was in the '90s. Yeah, and it was up in San Jose. Did you go to that? I didn't. I didn't know Lee well enough then. Okay. I mean, I, because I I grew up in the San Jose area, and he was more oh. Palo Alto at that time. And mm-hmm. you know, as a kid and a teenager. Uh, Palo Alto could have been on the moon almost. It's like, it's yeah, a bit of a drive yeah. when you don't drive, you know? Yeah. I mean, later, you know, when I got to be an adult, yeah, I would go to his shop, you know, pretty frequently. And then when he moved to Mountain View years later, you know, I went all the time and then I started, we, we actually got to be close friends and I worked with him on shows and, you know, I just, I came back down to California about a month ago for the first time in about two years. And we went out to eat and stuff like that. So and catch up. And he was actually the one who gave me the kick 
not only to get you on this show, but also to do a podcast in the first place. I was like, I don't have time to do a podcast. And he goes, but you're always interviewing people. And I go, well, that's true. It's for my books. But and then I go, hmm, I could do double duty on this stuff, you know? <laughs> so, and, you know, it's fun. I mean, I get to meet people like yourself. You know, even if I don't use this for an article or anything, it's great because I get to hear about, you know, what it's like. Uh, where'd you go? No. Uh, what I it's like being a cartoonist. I can't listen to interrupting me. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, what it's like being a cartoonist. And, you know, we are going to talk about uh, being a musician, too, which I guess this is a good segue since I mentioned it. So... You have a group that you call, that I said that I found out is called the Wigbillies. Is that the only band, or is that your current band that you've been in? Well, it's basically just my husband and I now. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like you know Steve and Edie. Um, we had a band in, in about two thousand one. Mm-hmm. It was sort of like our uh, midlife crisis, you might say, and. We got together with a guitar player that Paul and I had known when we lived in L.A. And uh, we tried playing with him back in the late 80s, but he had to grow up a little bit. (laughs) So he came back on the scene, and then I met a woman drummer uh, from an all-gal group that I was briefly playing with, and I stole her away. (laughs) Best drummer I've ever played with. And we had a band called the Wig Titans. Don't ask me. We had a list of wacky names like, you know, Clear Spot, Dad, Too Beef Heart, Too Beef Heart, Wig Titans. We go, yeah, that's wacky. We just, what does it mean? I don't know. And we played, God, we, for some reason, there were all these bars around here and they liked us because we did original stuff and we played things like Old Fleetwood Mac and, you know, rock. We were rockers. Uh, our, our, we pretty much, Kind of a combination between Rock Pile and Dr. Feelgood. That's and hmm. a little Chuck Berry thrown in. Old school rock, because that's what I like. Yeah. And um, and Paul, my husband Paul's an excellent guitar player, and the other guy was a good guitar player. So we just get we were gigging all the time, but it was crazy because we were in our fifties, and it would take us three days to recuperate. You know, nine thirty, nine thirty to one thirty in the morning. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. and uh and what was really neat is a lot of the bars were like within a mile of our house mm-hmm. so we had all these secret routes to get home so we wouldn't get you know any duis or anything so anyway we made enough money to pay for two cds mm-hmm. and when we did them we did a lot of the songs in one take because we had recorded with some people who are singer songwriters and they'll do 30 takes they think you're, that makes you better and it doesn't it, you know, mm-hmm. the energy just flies out the window and it's infuriating. So when we did our wig billy, okay, the reason we kicked the wig billies is we kicked the guitar player out of the band and the drummer moved away. And so we uh, started playing kind of Americana stuff like the knitters. Hmm. And so I play my dulcimer a lot and my acoustic Martin. Paul's playing his guitar. And we thought, well, we sound like hillbillies. And then we go, oh, the wig billies. So that's why we changed that. <laughs> So the second CD we made of the Wigbillies, we only were in the studio 11 hours. We were so well rehearsed, and we do. And Paul and I were both on the same page about this one or two takes, and that is it. You can't do one or two takes, next song. Mm-hmm. Is, that play, is that playing completely, completely live, or is that overdubs too? I mean, I mean it, well, when you, first, when you say one take, is it completely live, or do you... Yes. So that's one take for like the backing and then one take for this or, you know, I don't know what you're, you know. 
we preferred to do it all like we were on stage somewhere. Okay. And then the harmonies, of course, would be an overdub. But um, mm -hmm. the I'm not a real good singer. I'm kind of like um, uh, God uh, uh, Godfrey. I I not a real singer, but I can sing really good harmony, and that's why I got always got into bands and stuff. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I find when I'm playing and I sing, I'm much more of a ham and not so self-conscious because when you're standing in front of, you know, the mic and that round thing in front of you and you're trying to sing, it's really intimidating. It's, it's not, it's not fun. So yeah, one takes were the order of the day and uh, 11 hours. I mean, I was pretty proud of that. We shoved <laughs> it up everyone's asses too, that we did it like you were anal retainer. So when we did the wig Titans, cd that was we did analog we we did the tape the old-fashioned tape and of course it broke and we almost mm. lost the whole session oh, then we did digital for the second um there is a difference in the sound but uh for efficiency sake digi is pretty good mm -hmm. you know it depends on what you're doing too we we're doing you know acoustic instruments um they, they come across pretty well in a digital format mm. i think so anyway, what are we doing now? Uh, not much. Uh, this <laughs> Sunday, our old drummer is coming back to visit. So we'll have a little jam session. But in the last two years, I've decided to learn drums. So oh, wow. I took a drumming. Well, I've been listening to rock and roll for 60 years, and I've been playing bass for 40. So I, I, I mean, I know what I, I can anticipate riffs like crazy. So yeah, I just uh, got on YouTube and, and typed into getting drum lessons. And some woman named Lisa did the sort kind of play by beat, play by writing it down or play by ear. And I went, bingo. Yep. And so I just started playing every day and I love it. Oh, my God. All your troubles go out the door when you're playing drums. It's, it's so therapeutic. It's just it's like the caveman hitting the rock with the stick. Right. It appeals to me. My wife just picked up uh, a Fender electric guitar for like hundred dollars incredible yeah. deal and uh so she went over to guitar center and showed it to them and everything and they sold her an amp so because there's no amp so and now she loves it she's learning to play and she's doing exactly what you're doing going on youtube and saying oh okay and i even said that i said i don't play guitar i used to play piano but i said i know like things like louie louie and wild thing are very easy to play it's just like three chords so i mean if you learn that you can start playing other things but you know start off with the basics that at least sound like something you're playing so that she's doing it so yeah. yeah that's a mistake a lot of teachers make they they um don't recognize that there's different ways of learning and you'll often get a guy that um like i, I took a bass lesson once and the guy said oh don't use a pick you have to use your finger and it has to be this way and you have to dampen the string so we spent a half an hour going boom boom and I'm going, screw this. Yeah. Like if I taught guitar, I teach a kid a, a really cool lick, like the beginning of like a Van Halen song. So they can yeah. go home and they play that thing over and over and over and over. And every time they play it, they like it. And that gives you reinforcement. Yeah. And the other rule is if you practice every day, you're going to learn it. It might take you five years. It might take you 10. Right. If you don't practice, you'll get nowhere. Right. And it's that, but it's that easy. But it's like, hard to for people to make the time or make the motivation i think same thing with cartooning you gotta have that motivation you gotta be kind of confident mm -hmm. 
Yeah, puppy. Yeah, yeah I have dogs. <laughs> um, anyway, well, good luck. Well, tell her just, you know, just do a little every day. We are just 15 minutes. Yep. And chromatics. Everybody always thinks you have to play scales like that. Da, 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 da. No. no. Do yeah. chromatics on the first riff. Go this way, then go backwards, go up to the second riff, yeah. and it'll build up your, your muscles in your fingers. Yeah. And, it, and it trains your ear to hear uh, half tones, too, yeah. you know, half notes, things like uh, that. I, I was basically saying it's kind of like the blind leading the blind, but I just said, uh, <laughs> from what I've heard on learning a guitar, you know, learn like chords first, you know. It's like, I don't know if there's a right or wrong about that, but, you know, you could tell me if you, you know, so, and, and learn where the fingering is so you, you can just do it automatically without you know looking down at what yeah. you're doing and things like that you know and practice that you know but yeah i wouldn't do the scales uh scales are good for when i used to do piano you know because it kind of limbers the fingers and you right right but i can understand the guitar you know it wouldn't make sense because it's not the same type of instrument at all so it's like you know <laughs> no flats no sharps right <laughs> that's what's great about sevens Anyway. Yeah, so I never liked ukulele. I, I was painting ukuleles for a guy named Rick Turner up at Renaissance Guitars in Santa Cruz, and he was sending me these big tenor. I mean, they're bigger than the normal ukuleles. Yeah. So I was painting them with acrylic paints and, and then putting naked ladies on there, and they <laughs> came into my mind. And they were selling it for like 800 bucks at the NAM convention up in um, Anaheim. And um, I got a free one. And the chords, the, the, the positioning of the chords were just so difficult. It, it just, and the necks are so small. I mean, I'm used to this big, long neck on my Rickenbacker, you know, and, and I just couldn't get behind the plink, 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 plink. I want something that goes, bang, you know, sustain. So I ended up giving it to Wayno, you know, the mm -hmm. cartoonist. Yep. And, um, yeah. Now you mentioned yeah. uh, other instruments you play, so could you just you, it, so could you just say what you know how to play at least reasonably well? <laughs> well, I have a Rickenbacker bass, uh, a blonde one, just like Paul McCartney's with the checkerboard inlay on the on the on the primer, and I have a Martin acoustic bass. I have a dulcimer that somebody lent me that I never gave back, so I just uh, well, she was a coke dealer, and so she probably I don't know, she's probably dead by now. <laughs> anyway, so I started, I always liked open tuning, and there's only really two notes on a dulcimer, there's A and D, hmm. and you can play uh, in the pretty much key of A, P, key of D, you don't actually play chords, you play intervals, like maybe just two strings and just hit those, like when you're playing an F chord, you don't hit the big fat E string, because it'll make it sound funky. And I, I really got into that, of course, listening to Blue by Joni Mitchell got everybody turned on to Dulcimer because prior to that, it was Jeannie Ritchie and you had to play it with a feather right? and play it on your lap. Well, along comes Richard Farina, who's playing it like a guitar. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the guy wrote um, uh, Birmingham Sunday and the Falcon and he was married to uh, Mimi Farina, which was little Joe Maez's sister. And, and then he died young in a you know, motorcycle accident, a famous kind of folk rock guy. And so I play that, and I do a little keyboard, not much. We have a little um, Casio thing where I know the basic, you know, I can play the octave bass and maybe a triad, and that's about it. But I like the, the, sound, I like the sound effects on some of these things. Right. And I play a little, little guitar. I write songs on guitar. 
So, but I'm not, I'm a, I'm bare, I know a few chords. I know, you know, I'm, yeah, I know a few chords. That's about it. Oh, now drums. So, and are so, you, so, you're self-taught on everything, basically. Oh, right? yeah. Except for the one bass lesson with them. <laughs> one bass lesson. Yeah, I, I, I'm, uh, I, uh, I, I don't like lessons. I don't like um, big classrooms. Yeah. Uh, things go too slow for me. Uh, I'm better off on my own. I don't like assignments. I don't right. like homework. Um, no, I am. I've, I, I had to learn that uh, after I rejected art and got into music and I realized how my brain worked. Right. And it's, so you're self-taught on art as well. You don't. You never really took classes either, correct? No, I didn't. And yeah. that was what, what was infuriating about being an art major is every teacher thinks you're only taking their class. Right. <laughs> they don't understand when you're in college, you've got, you know, 12 units, maybe uh, 15 if you're crazy. And uh, being an art major is really expensive. I mean, they give you a list of all this crap you got to buy. I think the only people in college that get off pretty good are the dancers. All you need is a pair of leotards and you move around. But music and, you know, no, art, you got to be rich. Yeah. And that's my problem with me is I couldn't afford all the art supplies. And I uh, wanted, I couldn't get a job on the campus either. It was really hard back then. Hmm. So, so yeah, self-taught. Yeah. For me, just to tell you where I'm at, you know, I got a degree in broadcasting, but then, I always, in the back of my mind, wanted to do art, um, and then I ended up doing the cartoon art, cartoon art, uh, art instruction school. You know, the one oh. that uh, has draw tip, draw tippy. You know, and you send everything through the oh, yeah. mails and everything. <laughs> and it took me four years to do it, but I did complete it. You're supposed to do it in two years, but I said, you know, I'm an adult and I'm working. I get, I don't have time to draw all day, but. The fortunate thing about doing it that way, since you talked about art supplies, it's a big flat fee, although it's probably exorbitant now because I did it 30 years ago. Um, but they give you everything, all the supplies. You just get these packages shipped to you and then your next lesson and stuff like that. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You went to the tippy school of art? You actually yeah. signed up for that thing and, yeah. and they were legit? They're legit. Charles Schultz worked there and, uh, you know... <laughs> You know, not, at, not at the time I did it, but, you know, he worked there before Peanuts, and uh, then he uh, sold the strip, and so then that was the end of that, he left uh, art, art, the art instruction school. But yeah, it's the one they used to say, draw the pirate, draw me, yes. draw Tiffy, you know, all that stuff. Oh and, my God. Yeah, so I went for it. <laughs> yeah. so I'm a living survivor that I actually went through. But it did teach me some things that I didn't know, because... Uh, Prior to that, yeah, it's like you have, you're kind of at the whim of what an art teacher wants you to know. Um, it, it, it's a pretty wide-ranging coverage. And so I did learn things about shading that I never knew before. I learned things about perspective that I didn't know before. Yeah. Also, I learned that I'm not very good at either of those things. You know, and, I, <laughs> and I draw very cartoony. I'm very uh, – somebody said once, uh, on a good day, I'm kind of like Russell Myers of Broomhilda or something like that, you know, that type of – yeah, but I never pursued it too strongly like yourself, you know, where, you know, and I've had a couple things published here and there, but nothing of any great notoriety or, or plain really. Anyways. <laughs> so, um, 
Well, perspective is a pain in the ass and I just ignore it. In fact, I have the distinction of being in Jessica Abel's book uh, on perspective, 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 and I don't know what the number of the page is, but I am a prime example of somebody who did a page that knows nothing about perspective um, and ignores all the rules. So she asked me, can I put this in here? Because this one scene you have in Life of the Party is just, you didn't pay attention to anything. And I go, sure, read it. Go ahead. It's I mean, tough. The perspective is tough. Who cares? It's a comic book. Yeah. <laughs> it it's, just, it's funny. On Facebook recently, somebody was asking that. Uh, what is the most difficult thing to draw? And most people were drawing hands, saying hands and feet. It's like, that stuff's easy. It, it's perspective to me. You know, it's just getting everything placed correctly. You know, it takes a lot of effort to do it well, you know, I think. Now, maybe there's draftsmen. You mentioned Jack Kirby, you know, earlier or something like that, that could do it like this. But, you know, I don't yeah. know. I, it's like he, they probably had tons of practice, but it could be a natural talent. I don't know, you know, so. Um, you are in a different book. I did read a, uh, read a little bit behind you. Is uh, uh, Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics. You're in there as an uh, art example, too. I don't know if you knew that. Yes, I did. And it caused me a lot of grief because <laughs> a lot of people thought that pyramid meant, you know, that you're the best. And they go, yeah, Mary's at the top of the pyramid. How'd you get up there? Well, if they had read it, the whole idea of the pyramid was realism to abstract from realism it, it's like from one extreme this this and this and then this and this and so i, well, I do yeah i know people complained people, about that wow huh? people complained about that well there's some you could see it in people's eyes <laughs> envy which is so stupid but when uh scott was putting that book together it was um i, I went to comic con and he goes i got something to show you and i'm looking at these pages going oh <laughs> will you marry me <laughs> wow i didn't know but when the first zine my friends and i did was called demo and they worked at a print shop so they got everything they stole everything basically and um that was my first zine and i sent it to scott and he wrote me back right away and he was going oh this black and white you're doing this is great and he was really incredibly supportive and um so i was just thrilled and honored to be in that book and and i mean and he when he has that big globe of all the comic styles i mean he covers everybody in there. there's christine critter julie um the hernandez brothers i mean he really he he was a visionary where he could see where comics were going and he also predicted more women being into comics and that's certainly the it's it's I, i've seen it with my own eyes i've been going to comic con since 1986 and um the first year I went, some guy asked me, he said, are you looking for your kids? I go, I, sir, I'm a cartoonist. How dare you? Ah. I hadn't been published yet, but I, yeah. I knew where I was going. And now it's, it's incredible. The young adult market, uh, thanks to uh, Raina and a lot of people, it's just, it, it's where the bookstores, like Scott predicted we would be. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I noticed the change oh. too. I used to go to San Diego as early as 91. That was the year. Uh -huh. Last year I went was 2013. But, you know, it's like during that change, not only did it get hideously crowded, but yeah. <laughs> it was a major paradigm shift as far as, you know, little floppy pamphlet superhero comics to more, you know, graphic novel books and paperbacks and things like that. So definitely. Yep. 
Well, you know, in the old days, there were there were a lot more freaks, and the costumes were wilder. It, did you? Uh, there was the Comic Con. It used to be on Second and B Street before they moved to the big place. Never went to those. Yeah, the the year I first went was the first year at the convention center. So ninety one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, yeah, that was a real. That was like wow. <laughs> yeah. And um, and the, yeah, there were. Back in the old days, there were a lot more drag queens and, and just, just odd, you know, strange that came off the street. And then it sort of became, I, I couldn't believe it. Two years ago, we were waiting to get in. They, they weren't opening the doors right away, and it was hot. And there were two people next to me dressed up as superheroes, but they had the fake six-packs and the fake muscles. Mm -hmm. And they told me they actually have um, rubber hosing that goes all inside of the costume with ice water. Oh, wow. To keep them cool because of all this foam and this padding. And I'm just like, God, just like Dune. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And they were telling me the thousands of dollars that they spent on these costumes. It was like, wow. And it was this husband and wife, and that was their thing. Yeah. That they, they like to, you know, do it, yeah, and, it for four days. Yeah. I mean, I admire costuming. I've never gotten into it, the cosplaying and all that stuff. It's like, to me, it's like, you know, I don't even like dry, dressing up for Halloween. So, but I always admire people who put a lot of effort and energy into it, and their costume looks perfect. You know, and I'm like, wow, yeah, you know. <laughs> well, if you go to my, I have a, a a thing where I posted all the pictures I've taken of Comic Con from 1987 to about 2003. Hundreds of pictures. And it's called Mary in Comic Con Land dot blogspot. <laughs> dot com mm -hmm. so you can see it's like 700 photos oh. <laughs> and so a lot of the pictures i take of people i mean you just go can't take your picture and they just go yeah of course <laughs> they, they live for that so right, I, right. I, i'm not shy so I, I i like to do that every year um uh I, I think the guys costumes are even now even more flamboyant than the women mm -hmm. so um but you can see what the Comic-Con was like back in the day if you check out my little thing. The reason I did that was in 2008, we had these horrible fires here, and the mm. smoke was so bad you couldn't go outside for four days. So I looked mm. at my closet, and there was thousands of photos in a big pile mm. that I had, you know, I just forgot about. So it took me three months to separate them all, categorize them. Uh, try to find out what date, you know, the date and, and, and match it up and call up people. And I did it, but uh, I had to, I had to tap into my OCD pretty good to do that. It was, uh, you know, the scanning and everything. I don't even know how I did it. And I just stopped at 2003 cause I got tired. <laughs> well, after 700 photos, God. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, I know. And then and just my luck uh, in 2019, I was invited as a special guest, and it's really nice when they do that. They put you up at the Marriott, and you get money for food every day. And, of course, you have to be on, like, 20 panels, right. and you've got to earn your keep. And they offered me that this year for this Comic-Con special edition that was on Thanksgiving weekend, and I turned them down. I, um, it's, it's too soon. I, yeah. I, I want to live long enough to finish my book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't want to get sick. Right. And I've had my shots and the booster and all that kind of stuff, but still yeah. I'm the Comic Con will be there again. Yeah. yeah and 
I would not, and I would prefer to go, when I go next time, I want to have my book at least halfway done or almost done. And because every, you know, why talk about something you're working on? I mean, right. beyond. <laughs> I yeah. know it's, it's always the case, you know, if you, if you're, you have a bunch of books here and they'll say, what are you working on? Oh, I'm working on a book about such and such. Ooh, I'm interested in that. And it's like, I don't have anything to show you, you know, it's like, <laughs> so I get it totally. Um, yeah, and I haven't done any shows uh, for two years either, you know, it's like, the, and then when I came down for the first time to California in October, there just happened to be a smallish comic book show in Pleasant Hill, Northern California, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, I said, I could go to that. San Diego is a bit much, I agree with you right now, you know, it's like, because, I don't know who, who's going around and it seems, it always seems like wall-to-wall -wall people even at the best of times. So you know, it's like, I don't want to be in there with everybody who might be unvaccinated or, you know, who knows, you know. <laughs> oh, those you could forge one of those cards. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I'm with, I'm with you at least another year for a show like that. Yes, definitely. You know, but the smallest show, yeah, I can do a small show. <laughs> what do you do for shows? What, what do you, are you well, on that one, I just showed oh. up just as a fan, you know, because I hadn't okay. done anything in so long. I wasn't going to sit there and display because, I, you know, I just, it was like a last minute decision to even go to it. But I said, uh -huh. I'd like to go because, you know, if you like, I still buy old comics, but buying them off of eBay is hideous right now. So, you know, oh, everything's God. like $500 for the stupidest <laughs> book. So, but you can still find deals at a comic show because people bring in this stuff. They don't want to bring it back home. They're not going to charge $500 if they can sell for a couple hundred or less, you know, and I'm cheapskate. I like something for a dollar, you know, it's like, and I found really weird things like some big boy comics from the old restaurant and stuff like that, you know, <laughs> I remember those, so, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, uh, found some Harvey's. I have pretty much every Harvey ever published, but I found a few that I didn't have. And so, <laughs> So that's what I would do. Uh, if I did set up, yeah, I, I do have a table usually with my books and things like that. Um, a lot of times I do shows with Lee. So, you know, he has the normal Lee's comic sure. display. And then he gives me, you know, and Arnold, you can get this little tiny corner here for one book. You know, he's not that <laughs> bad. <laughs> yeah. <No. laughs> but, uh, you know. Uh, well, it's amazing what's out there. I was down in Lucadia. My friend has an antique store. Um, it's, it's, everything's got a chip or, you know, something wrong with it, but it, you know, he still has interesting stuff. And I see this comic called little aspirin. Yeah. I'm going little aspirin. What the hell is this? He goes, Oh, take it. And of course it's in, it's not, it's in fair condition. You know, I know the, I know the scale, but it's probably take off a little iodine. Jimmy. Yeah. Helto iodine did, too, so, yeah. Say, yeah. 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 <laughs> and it yeah. was just, and uh, so I put it up on Facebook, and you wouldn't believe it. The people were like, I've never seen this. Oh my God, what a find. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, well, I mean, it's like there's all these like knockoffs of Harvey or knockoffs uh, on Dennis the Menace, you know, and you, you yeah. see both, you know, it's like they'll be just like little cutesy poo girls or boys or whatever, or they'll be mischief, mischievous boys <laughs> or girls sometimes, you know, and, and things like that. It's kind of weird that. that and it's an entire genre that they don't bother to make any comics of anymore, which is really interesting. So, you know, and that's the type of stuff I buy and still buy, you know, you know, I, I'll buy occasional superhero stuff, but you know, yeah, I like 
I like my Archies. I like my Harveys. <laughs> I like anything humor. I have all the mads and cracks and crazies. And oh, yeah. Things, so, you know, so that's how I knew you from Weirdo because it's like, you know, I was already a Crump fan. And it's like, okay, you know, here we go. So it was only a natural on that. Um, I have a bunch of different questions, so I'll just kind of jump around. But, you know, um, one thing you mentioned, you mentioned your mother, but you didn't say into detail. And so I wanted to ask about that. So uh, she worked for Disney in the early 40s. Uh, yeah. Were you aware of, did you know that at the time or were, were, did you come along later? Um, uh, I mean, <laughs> Much later. Uh, okay. So, so, but I mean, okay, so let's rephrase that. So that's what I had to ask. Being try, trying to be discreet, I should have find out. Uh, let's see. Is did you? What happened when you discovered what your mom had done that she had worked for Disney? Was that interesting to you, or did it annoy you if it was too commercial, or what? Okay. Well, what the story was: she got married at nineteen, mm-hmm. and a year later, my dad got called over to North Africa to fight in the war. Mm-hmm. and she had to move in with her parents that lived on uh, 42nd and Danker in L.A., and my dad was on a train, and he started talking to people, you know, because everybody met people on trains back then, because that's right. what people did, and these guys, he said, well, my wife needs a job. She's bored. He goes, well, what does she do? Well, she's an artist. She designed, uh, gra- graduated from um, college as a fashion design major, mm-hmm. And they said, well, tell her to come down to the studio. It's uh, Walt Disney Studios. Tell her to bring a portfolio, samples of her ink work, what she can do. And she got the job. Mm-hmm. And a um, month and a half later, she got promoted to the animation department and worked with a guy named Johnny Bond. And she was only there a year and a half because mm-hmm. my dad uh, came home. He pulled up to the studio. I mean, she celebrated her 21st birthday there alone. And she didn't see him for two and a half years. Mm-hmm thinking he'd be, you know, dead, you know, killed in the war every day. So she started becoming, you know, going to church and all that. And so the day he showed up in a taxi with his uniform on, she introduced him to everybody, and off they went to uh, Fort Lauderdale, Hmm. where he was stationed. And that's where my brother was born. So she worked there from 41 to 43, and she wanted to be a housewife and have kids. Hmm. And so she gave up a, a potentially good career, and she, I think at that time, I forget her last name. Her name was Ruth somebody. We met her. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll, okay. Um, she uh, collected art that she found in the trash. Hmm. And she thought it was cute. They were like drawings of Mickey Mouse and, and Goofy and little thumbnails that the, the uh, animators would just like be monkeying around just to get inspired. And then they throw them away. Now they take all these drawings and they put them through a slot in a locked room and nobody can get in there. But she um, just took these things home and I asked her why. She goes, well, I thought they were cute. So when I was about nine or 10, I was going through some boxes in the basement looking for sheet music or something to draw on, I think maybe. And I found a stack of all this Disney art. I'm like, what in the hell is this? And I'm looking at, I knew it was animation art because it was on animation paper and some of the drawings are on acetate. And, um, and I asked her, where did you buy these? She goes, oh, I worked there for a while. <laughs> and she still has that attitude because to her at that time, she was away from her husband. She was lonely. Yeah. I mean, she had a job and everything, but she 
uh, it was a, a, a dark time. Yeah. And she doesn't think it's a big deal. Yeah. So um, about 10 years ago, she, or I think it was more than that, she, I said, where's all that art you had? Oh, I can't find it. I think someone stole it. it, I, it I can't find it in the house. And I'm like, oh, God, here's my, my inheritance. Yeah. And so then she calls me up one day. She goes, oh, I found it. It was under a ribbon box. Yeah. I go, I'll be right there. So I drove up an hour and a half because I'm down in San Diego. She's up in Palos Verdes. Oh, I, I used to live there. So I go, give me that. Give me that. <laughs> I go, You're not losing this again. <laughs> goes, well, that's still mine. I go, no, it's not. <laughs> so you have it? I have it. Oh. And I have it in my kiln, my ceramic kiln. And I have everything in plastic bags. But a lot of the acetates are are rippling. You can smell the acidic acid. It's gassing out. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to buy that those thick plastic nuclear things that you put. If the acetate ripples, it ripples. Yeah. It was wartime paint. So she had a stack of a lot of animation cells that all melted together. Mm-hmm. She had it the wrong way. So. I um, talked to a few of my friends, and they go, well, do you have any proof that she worked there? And I go, well, you know, that's probably a good idea to find out, right. you know, to get the word providence, you know. So I took a deep breath. I called up the studios. I got a hold of archives. I explained my story. And the woman goes, oh, hold on, man. I'll look in the card. She goes, hey, here, here. We got her employee card right here. Oh. I go, from 41? Uh. Would you like me to email it to you? And I go, would I? Uh, wow. So right at that very moment, a woman named Mindy Johnson was sitting, was in the office and she was working on a book called Ink and Paint about the women that worked for Disney. And there was always this common misconception that no women worked there. Well, that's not true. No, that's not true. <laughs> the book's like this thick and there's like hundreds. I, of I, have, a, I have a book about in the stack that's against the wall up uh-huh. there. I haven't read it yet, but it is about women artists in animation. And yeah. yeah so. And there's a picture of her in there, and she's mentioned a few times. And so, you know, Mindy's this go-getter, and she had a, a you know, a, a talk at the D23 Disney convention in Anaheim. And then they had a special thing at the um, theater where they give out the Oscars, where she gave a talk, and the, all the ladies were on stage. Mm-hmm. And it was like this, you know, two-hour thing, but it was quite grand. They put us up in a hotel and paid for everything. It was a $600 suite for my mom and I, and we had our names on the chairs, just like the Oscars. I mean, it was all very fancy. And, and, and the oldest lady there, this is that Ruth gal again, she worked at the original Hyperion Studios. And at that time, she was 106. She just recently passed, I think a month ago, at 111. Yeah, I've heard about her. Yeah. And she wheeled up to my mom and she goes, I know you. Ah. And my mom goes, Here's, yeah, you work for Johnny Bond. And my mom's like, oh, my God. Because she was hoping she'd meet some of her old friends, but a lot of them have passed. She's 99 now, my mom. Hmm. So she was like 95, 96 when we had this, you know, thing. Yeah. So um, um, after that event, my mom goes, I don't want to do any more of these things. I feel like a fraud. I was only there for a year and a half. I didn't invent anything. I didn't do any. She worked on train <laughs> films for the Army and the three caballeros and she did uh, a lot of tracing for that so is she that really what worked... the cells are that you have what's in that stack then? oh it... a lot of it's stuff she like nothing none of her none of her artwork 
Oh, I thought it was her artwork. Okay, it's no, just stuff she, she collected. Okay. Stuff she collected. She did one drawing of a guy that, like a like a, a, a leader of a band in a mariachi band, but she was not an animator. She was doing um, um, in between drawing, I think, mm -hmm. but no coloring or anything. Right. And um, the drawings are they're all over. There's one sequence of 23 drawings of Donald Duck rendered in colored pencils where he's running down the hill and the, the, with the lines behind him, the show motion. And it starts off with this little tiny drawing of Donald and they, each page it goes, he's going faster and faster and faster. And it's this pile, it's numbered one, three, five, seven. I don't know why they do that in animation, but it's, it's an amazing sequence of some guy, you can just see some guy at his desk mm -hmm. trying to work out what Donald's gonna look like when he's running really fast in color. Mm -hmm. And having the color bleed behind him to show, you know, motion. So stuff like that. The, the little um, there's a it was a they did a series of Pluto shorts, and there's one called Springtime or something. And Pluto sees a little moth on a plant, and it's a it's a a, um, a little male, I think a a beetle, and he's going dun 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 dun. dun. And then he forms a cocoon, and then he comes out of it as a female. <laughs> like the first transgendered character, right? Wow. <laughs> so it's a sexy blonde with the wings, and she's got the long blonde hair. So there's a bunch of those drawings. Huh. And then uh, 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 one of them uh, is pretty valuable, I think. It's Donald Duck, and it's from, from Der Fuhrer's face. Mm -hmm. And he's doing the Nazi salute, and there's a, bear, a, a bayonet sticking him in the butt. Yeah. <laughs> and he's got the armband on and everything. And so that's pretty interesting. I don't know how she got a hold of that. But they're mostly the animation paper with the pencil drawings on them. Huh. And the notations from the somebody in the, that I don't know what it means, but it's obviously, obviously in, in office notations and things like that. A Disney historian would certainly know what all this is. I don't right now. Hmm. So um, I'm just hanging on to this stuff. And um it deserves to be donated yeah as a collection right <laughs> i'm not, i will not sell off this stuff because i've met people who are collectors and they're the biggest jerks they say oh well the market's soft right now nobody's buying this stuff yeah. bullshit <laughs> and so i'm you know i i i've decided in my living trust that all my comic art and i have a quite extensive extensive collection of comic art and my stuff's going to go to the Billy Ireland uh, Art Museum mm -hmm. in Columbus. Yeah, I've heard about yeah. that uh, recently. Um, I was in discussions. It fell through, but I was in discussions to sell my Harvey Comics collection. And I wasn't mm -hmm. really crazy about doing it, but I would have done it for the right price. But, you know, it fell through. So there's no need to discuss how much it was or anything other than, uh, somebody said, don't sell it, hold on to it, don't sell it, and give it to the Billy Ireland thing when you pass away. And that's, you know, I go, that's not a bad idea. I mean, it is a complete collection. I don't know, you know, what they can do with it, but, you know, it's like I won't be here, so I won't go. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. Well, I, I went there in 2019. I was invited to go to the CXC uh, event, and I took a tour inside there. And it's really something. I mean, they have the go to these special rooms and they're cold and everybody's wearing gloves. And 
they asked us what we wanted to see. So I wanted to see some Chester Gould stuff and um, Hank Ketchum, you know, the old, you know, the masters and the guy did the little King. And yeah. so you, know, you get to see that stuff right there. It's amazing. But what's was kind of horrifying is now I'm not sure it's a yellow kid or Windsor McKay. Oh God. I, I shouldn't even tell the story, but one of these famous guys, a son got the artwork. And he started cutting it up to sell it in little sections. Yeah. I think it might be Windsor McKay. I'm not sure. But it just, if you don't have plans for your stuff when you're gone, anything can happen. Right. And, right. and these, these, these snakes that sell, buy and sell, they're horse traders. And they prey on people in their time of grief and, and sadness. And they just you know, offer pennies on the dollar. And then some collector buys it. And gonna, I mean, I have a page from the um, the Rawhide Kid, and I think Jack Kirby inked it. Uh, Paul Levitz was over here with Karen Green, and I asked him, who, "Did Kirby ink this?" He goes, "Ah, it's probably him and David, Dave Ayers, hmm. Ayers." He said they used to trade pa pages back and forth, and somebody wanted a cigarette. Dick, the other Dick guy, Ayers? Did, Dick? Dick, yeah, okay. Dick, Dick. I, I'm not very knowledgeable about the. That's okay. <laughs> But my friend uh, who passed, he, in his will, said I could take one page out of his collection. Hmm. And he said he had a Kirby. I spent four hours looking through all these portfolios. It's sick to my stomach. They're just in portfolios. Yeah. So after that experience, I took all my art and took a couple of months and framed. I used to be a custom picture framer. So oh. I got out the rag board and the UV glass and the frames. And I, everything's on my wall now. So I can enjoy it. Yeah. And it's protected because we have silverfish here in Encinitas. We, boy, do we have silverfish. <laughs> and every one of my nice art books has a little nibble. Mm. Uh, well, you know what? I don't really care. Books, books, schmucks, you know. I mean, I have the only valuable book I have is the Grateful Dead hardback that Jerry Garcia has a tip-in uh, huh. autograph. Yeah. That one's in plastic. That's in a bag. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about selling that here pretty soon. Because Grateful Dead is just, there's no end to that. Right, right. <laughs> it's like the, like, like the Tiki Oasis people. God, everything Tiki, Tiki. Right. And I grew up with Tikis, you know. <laughs> so you mentioned a couple of your influences. Do you have originals of Chester Gould or uh, Los Logo? So how you pronounce his name? Uh, no, I the, the old. I think probably I have a Ramona Frayden page that somebody gave me. Marie Severin gave me uh, the big book of bad, the practice, 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 two-pager she did about the uh, Florence Foster Jenkins who couldn't sing. Meryl, Meryl Street made that movie about her. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, Marie used a variety of materials, and some of the marking pen that she used, it's turned yellow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, she and I became friends because I interviewed her for comic book artist. Mm -hmm. And we just hit it off. So we traded art and I have a really neat sketch of her that she did of me as on the beach drawing and then the Hulk's behind me going, ah, it says, watch out for those beach boys, Mary. And so um, that, that's about, she's as close to the golden age as I have of, of stuff. And, you know, drawing, she, I think she did for Cracked, the, some guy reading a comic and he gets hit by a car and, and she gave it to me for my birthday. I, I, this is Murray Severn? Mm -hmm. Yeah, she did a couple things for Crack, but the, the main place she did art was uh, Crazy for Marvel, 
Yeah. And uh, not Brand X. She did a lot of stuff. This might have been from Crazy. Yeah. I've never seen an issue of Crazy, so I don't know. <laughs> What's going saying? on, dogs? I'm doing a podcast. Anyway. <laughs> dog. How Good dare dog. they bark? <laughs> Good boy. Yeah. Two girl dogs. I got uh, Mia and uh, Lulu. So. <laughs> what kind of dogs? Uh, one. Oh, I'm not in here. Um, Lulu is a larger dog, half, uh, um, what's it called, uh, not sure. uh, it's a ger- German one with a long mustache, uh, maybe it's that, and half Chihuahua, which is an Irish one. Irish Wolfhound? Um, it's a cavatory, come here, come here, Lulu, come here, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's play Guess the Breed. Come on. I just love dogs. I have two cats and a dog. All my animals have been rescued, too. <laughs> I know if you like to do something, they don't do it. All right, come on. Come on. Here, let's try this again. Come here. <laughs> this is exciting, riveting television, but I'm actually going to Come on, Lizzie. Come on. You need a little treat. Yeah, yeah she doesn't want to do it. She's an older dog. Um, but anyway, the other one is half, um, uh, half a Westie and half, uh, what's it called? Havanese. So, That's a pistol. Yep. Uh, but she looks like Toto in The Wizard of Oz. So. Oh, God. Yeah. But Toto was a different terrier breed, but they're both terriers, both dogs. Anyway, mm-hmm. so <laughs> anyway, enough of the. Do you have dogs then? I mean, yeah, we have, two cats. we have a our dog is a uh, Shiba Inu Corgi blend. Mm-hmm. So she's long and white with liver spots, but she's got longer legs. She's not doesn't have the short legs like a corgi, and she's uh, but she's got that corgi temperament. She doesn't like other dogs. She was rescued from a hoarder mm. uh, north of Los Angeles. He had a five acre ranch with fifty dogs. And she was, she'd already had puppies when we got her, never socialized, never walked on a leash. Hmm. So it, it, it took some doing, but she's a real smart dog. Best dog I've ever had. Her name is Buddy. No. <laughs> oh, Lulu's half schnauzer. Half oh, dog. schnauzer. There, yeah, that's the one with the mustache yes. that goes down like this. Anyway, yes, yes. she looks kind of like a goat. <laughs> but yeah, well, anyway. schnauzers, they have their own way of doing things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. It, 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 I, I'm basically going to call her bipolar because she wants to be petted all the time. But if I pet her in the wrong way, she starts growling and biting it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I have to do it yeah. just gently on the head, but I can't go near her butt because I'm choking. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> and yeah, don't touch the ears. <laughs> <you know. laughs> Well, Buddy was really useful for me as a model when I was doing Billy the Bee because, of course, she's kind of coyote-ish looking. She's got the coyote ears and mm-hmm. and and I and the muzzle. I could, you know, look at her, and it, that was very useful because she's very, you know, uh, wolfy looking. Mm-hmm. So, tell me about some of those. You sent me some of those pictures. So, Billy the Bee, I've not seen other than your cover. So, what is that one about? Well, uh, one day I went through kind of a slump. Uh, in the comic business for about eight years. Um, I, 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 a, bunch of, a couple things happened. Um, I, I did the three comics with Zongo Comics, and it wasn't me. And so I stopped at the third issue because 
I thought I had a, a terribly original plot line, and it was just like something Jeff Smith would have done in Bone after I read Bone. And I just like, oh, God, everybody's going to think I'm copying this guy. Eh. So I said, screw this. And I really didn't like the people that worked for Bongo and Zongo. I like Matt. Yeah. But the people they had at the time, uh, the one guy that was my uh, sort of call editor, who will be, remain nameless, mm -hmm. was an idiot. And then I did a deal with Nickelodeon to take one of the, 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 Kukum, the Tiki guys from the first issue. They wanted to do a development deal and make it into a show. And two weeks into that, I realized this was not my scene. I hated it. <laughs> I wrote it out for a year and a half, made a little, got a little money in my pocket, not a lot. And when they passed on the idea, I got my rights back. So that was a major thing for me. And then what else happened? Um, Oh, I wanted to do a collection of all my stuff and four publishers told me to take a walk. <laughs> so I'm just going, okay, fuck the comic world. <laughs> so um, I always went back to my, my happy place, which was music. Uh -huh. so, after, so after about eight years, I thought, I'm going to do one of these graphic novels. So I started thinking about, oh, what brought it on? I was thinking about where, where does honey come from? And you always read it, bee vomit, it's bee poop, it's bee, it's this, this. So I started researching it and I just went, oh my God, here it is. It handed right to me. I mean, when I learned all the worker bees were all female, I just went, huh? <laughs> and I, and I, when I learned how honey was made, it appealed to my, you know, I'm really interested in science. Mm. I was almost a microbiology major in college, but I can't mm. do math. And uh, I just started reading more and more, and I just went, "My God, this is this is this is golden." So that's what got me going. And then I started thinking about, well, there's mutants in the superhero world. Why not make a mutant animal? You know, <laughs> it's the size of a hummingbird. Why not? It's a comic, mm -hmm. and you know. And I thought, well, the, and then the bee will be not the the uh, scout, but he'll be something else. And so it just kind of went from that went from there and I decided to be silly and have the bee sing and mm -hmm. illustrate lyrics and just do what I wanted because yeah. why the hell not <laughs> and of course when I got the book done a lot of people thought it was autobiographical really it's called Billy the Bee it's autobiographical come on hello <laughs> and um uh, it was, I, I enjoyed it very much. I'd never done cross-hatching before, and I really got into it because Mineshaft Magazine, which is that little zine from North Carolina, I got really influenced by this guy named Christoph Mueller from Germany, and then mm -hmm. another guy named Bill Crook that likes to do uh, these really cross-hatched uh, views of old towns and things that are published in there. And I thought, and Crumb, of course, and I thought, you know what? I can do cross-hatching. I can do it better. Yeah. Yeah, let's see if I can do that. So that was kind of, and I really enjoyed it. And I learned that it really adds a, a third color because you have black and you have white, and then you have gray. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 I learned it a lot. So I wanted to do, after because the main characters are the bee and a rattlesnake and a coyote. And I wanted to do the next book either about the coyote or the snake. And Gary Groth at the Comic Con goes, would you please do an autobiographical book? Yeah. Why? Because everything right now is really boring, and he goes, "Uh huh." <laughs> well, I have seen so many drawings that women do where they're on bed, 
curled in the fetal position, sucking their thumb, going, nobody loves me. And it's like, there's no story in that. I'm sorry. I understand you're 22, and we all go through that. But I want more. Yeah. <laughs> so the happy hour, I have covered some of this material in Life of the Party um, about playing at this in the gay bars of Orange County. But what I really wanted to do was a full circle coming of age uh, explanation of, of my love of comics and why I, and I couldn't do them in college. And so that's why I dropped out on the music, almost killed myself with drugs and alcohol. And then one day my muse came back to me and I decided to get back into art to do what I wanted to do. And that was comics. And so that's what it, but that was, you know, it took, I had to step away from everything and, you know, do what I wanted to do. <laughs> Well, it's so always good to take a break sometimes, even with stuff you love doing, you know, because, yeah, you get a better perspective on it, I think, you know. Well, you, you just, can only bang your head against a wall for so long. <laughs> I mean, exactly. I mean, you, you know, said more directly and bluntly, but, yeah, same, same yeah, thing. The, the Zago thing went south, <laughs> and Nickelodeon, and I didn't, didn't want to publish my stuff, and no. I, I kind of got sick of dealing with people. Mm-hmm. And I could see the the comic world was going to change, but it hadn't changed quite yet. This whole thing about we're going to get in the bookstores, we're going to get in the bookstores. Well, it didn't happen. It didn't yeah. happen. And um, and then I could see something happening. So yeah. I thought, yeah, yeah. So I thought I tried doing a young adult book, and um, once again, I, I hit that sixty percent goal that I think I. I succeeded in that but i think this book i'm doing now will be uh what i was meant to do pretty much and um i sent you the cover and but i'm really having great fun with it because um i'm i'm testing my plagiarism skills um i did this one panel where i passed out in church because we had to go to church every sunday and in west covina california it was like 100 degrees all the time and so i hallucinated once this whole thing of these so, uh, uh, characters from the uh, newspaper. <laughs> so I, I got to, uh, I have an issue of <clears throat> 1947, the Herald Examiner. So I was able to, I had reference. Mm-hmm. So I was able to draw Lil Abner Mary, and then Mary Worth. <laughs> Mary Worth flipping out on Aston here <laughs> and Goofy. Goofy yeah. And uh, yeah, whatever any copyright violations I, I'm doing here. And um, <laughs> And I was really obsessed with Daisy May because she was always crying. Um, like I was going, why doesn't Lil Abner love Daisy May? Why, why does he reject her? <laughs> so one day I went to my mom and I said, look, I drew Daisy May. Look, you know, poorly. And my mom was just shocked. So she took an eraser and she started erasing the boobs. So you can see her. <laughs> she, you can see her boobs. <laughs> And this is so, this actually happened. This is a real yes, story. Oh, wow. <laughs> because I don't want you drawing these things. I'm going, well, mom, you got a big bust. No, but it, I mean, I'm eight or nine years old, and I'm drawing Daisy May. My mom probably thought I was a dyke or something. They were always worried <laughs> I was going to be a tomboy, or I was going to. I was listening to black music. You know, I was into blues and jazz, and so they were afraid I was going to date a black guy. Or something. <laughs> this fear from this wild child that I was, was, and I, I suppose I was, I mean, I read Catcher in the Rye when I was nine or 10 and, and I got it. 
Yeah. I mean, if you read the word goddamn for the twelfth time, it doesn't mean any it's not a bad word anymore, you know. Right. <laughs> so um anyway, yeah, it's so I just it's going slow. I, I just try to do a little every day. If I only do a panel, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um uh, I'm I don't have an editor. I wanted Gary Grout to be my editor, but yeah, forget it. He's too busy. Mm-hmm. And so I'll be laying in bed in the middle of the night going, Oh, wait a minute, I didn't explain that enough so i have to renumber all the pages and insert another page in there but that's i'm trying to be my own editor on this you never know gary might come around as you get closer to being done you know <laughs> so well i sent him the first chapter and he was pleased because we have three sex scenes in the first chapter alone right. <laughs> so well i wanted to reel in my readers yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we did it that way yeah and uh I don't know. I predict. I, I don't think you'll have a problem getting it done. I mean, getting it published once you get it done. You know, it just seems like something. I mean, from what oh. you just showed me, it's only a page and a half. You know, I'm like, where is it? I want it now. <laughs> you know, yes. I was like, you know, it looks funny. It, you know, it looks interesting. You know, at the very least. Yeah, you know, good, so, good. Well, once again, tell a common story and commonly well. And it's fanographics. I've already signed the contract. So. Oh, okay. So you are set up. Okay. All right. Yeah, it, it, it's funny. I. I've done a lot of work for Fanographics. It's it, I get along with Gary very well. Yeah. Um, uh, I know he's known as the uh, the terrible infant of the comic <laughs> world, and a lot of people despise him. But I don't know. We we seem to get along fine. We, we communicate. He's got a great sense of humor. Um, he's confided in me. I kind of have brother sister relationship in a weird way. I get along with him pretty well. I mean, the mo- the most recent time I saw him was. I guess about five years ago, they did an EC show up here in Eugene, Oregon. And oh, really? He showed up because, you know, they're reprinting the ECs in the black and white hardbacks right now. Their version. Oh. So, um, you know, he had a vested interest and he came down there. And we just started talking because he had recently, at the time, issued uh, Bill Shelley's uh, Kurtzman book. And, uh, you know, in, and I did a talk on Harvey Kurtzman. So, you know, he was there, and so, and we, we chatted, he knows I'm a huge Harvey guy, and, um, you know, he, you know, he, so he's always been very helpful and gracious to me, so it's like, but I can understand he has, like, a little harsher exterior to some, maybe, to put it like, but, you know, he's never really bothered me, so. Well, you know, when you're in the art world, if you act too eager to please, people will walk all over you. Yeah, yeah. And it took me a long time to learn that. Yeah. And if somebody pisses you off, you've got every right to tell them they're an asshole. Yeah. And I and and when the first time you do it, it the second time is really easy. Yeah. <laughs> it comes real natural. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but he hasn't given me grief, but I also didn't, you know, let him walk all over me either. So it's like, but you know, maybe I, I you know, I wasn't trying to get him to publish anything of mine at the same time, but you know, so there's kind of this mutual respect going on for what I do. Versus what he does. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's the other. When you're a creator, it's a real tricky dance when you're talking to these publishers because there's so many people that want to be published, and so people, so many people that are you know really good, and a lot of people are really bad. But sometimes really bad people have quite a bit to say. they um, the artwork is secondary. Uh, uh, a good example of that was uh, Glenn Head's Chartwell Manor book that just came out. Um, 
there's some things he could improve on, but he doesn't have to because the story was just so great and so powerful. Have you heard about the book? Not sure, no. <laughs> well, well Glenn had, he's a New York guy. He did Hotwire. Uh, yes, there's the, the three Hotwires for Fanographics. Mm -hmm. And so he did this autobiographical book about him going to this private boys school mm -hmm. and it was run by this predator fiddler guy mm -hmm. that, that sexually abused kids and hit them. And, and, uh, and since they were boys, a lot of them tell their parents and their parents, like, like Catholic priests molesting boys, the parents just, they, mm -hmm. they can't accept it. So they say it never happened or they just mm -hmm. push it aside. Oh, you have to go beyond this. Right. And so he, he relates his days going to school with this terrible person who was eventually arrested and sent to prison. <laughs> and, and one of the students fingered him and they finally, you know, got justice. And then, and then Glenn's, um, the, the, the effects of all this, uh, you know, uh, over, you know, drinking too much, sex addiction, this kind of thing, doesn't go away with a lot of people that suffered abuse like that. So he's tackling some pretty heavy stuff but the story has a happy ending because he has a child and he has a daughter now and, and um, he's a pretty solid guy. He's uh, Now that you explained it, I may have heard of it. I haven't read it, but uh, was it nominated for an Eisner? Or it will be. It okay, will that's be. what, it, you know, because I hear these things because I, I, I vote on the Eisners every year. And uh, if I haven't read it, I, I tr you know, before I vote, I try to at least read about it and then read it afterwards because uh -huh. if you're nominated, you know, that's still pretty darn good, you know, it just, you know, uh, for the I most part. So. You know. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, no. And, you know, another good book is, you know, what, what, uh, Bat Durf did with the, uh, the, um, Kent state book mm -hmm. that I think that's probably that one, one of the most important graphic novels in the last 20 years, because he's telling the truth, you know, here in California, we kind of heard, Oh, there was a riot and the police got out of hand and they, right. and they, they shot at the wrong person. It wasn't like that at all. It got completely whitewashed about what really was going on. Yeah. So I was really grateful that he, he wrote the book so you could you know, learn the truth and how these people were murdered. They yeah. were systematically murdered. Yeah. Even, even yeah. they did a TV movie at some point, I think in the late seventies, early eighties. And it's like mm -hmm. that really whitewashed the whole thing too. So, you know, <laughs> so yeah well they want you know it's got to be entertaining so yeah put anything it makes you feel uncomfortable in the audience oh right. god forbid right right <laughs> i hate movies i don't like movies at all now they're just so good crap yeah. but anyway yeah <laughs> tell me how you really feel no, that's okay <laughs> <laughs> um so once the happy hour is uh, done, are you pursuing other similar type projects? Maybe not the same subject, but I mean, just is, are graphic novels like your future calling, or are you going to do more music, or both, or what? 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 Where are well, you career-wise? Yeah. Well, I'm not sure because you know I'm only on page forty, and it's <laughs> going to be a 200-page book, so it's not going to be ready till 2023. Oh wow! Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, well, I, I don't know how fast you're working. <laughs> so how no, fast working you're working out, now? <laughs> well, no, I'm working a lot slower than I did with Billy. Uh, because during the, when I started the book, I got involved in other things. Like uh, I wanted to do a little three-pager for Mineshaft. So I did that uh, six months ago. And then Joyce Farmer, who did special exits and did tits and clips, the, the, uh, <laughs> the feminist 
the feminist comic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she got together with a guy named Sandy Jimenez, who was involved with the World War III group. That's uh, Seth Tabachum, Tabachman and mm-hmm. Peter Cooper, which I think they've been doing this for 40 years, World War III. Yeah. And so Sandy was involved in that. So he's co-editing this book with Joyce on climate change. And it's called I Bet the Planet. Wow. <laughs> I, like I did a five-page story for that, and she's trying to shop it around now using an agent up in Seattle uh, named Elizabeth Hayes, mm-hmm. and they're trying to find a publisher. Um, I'd be nice if Abrams picked it up, right. but that's not my call, right. and uh, so, that, so that was good, and um, that's cool. It's cool because Slow Death came out too just a couple of months ago. Yeah, that one I did get. Yeah, that was terrific. The cover was great. Um, so I'm just focusing on this book now. I have no idea what I would do <laughs> afterwards. Um, I have no idea. Sounds like you work similar to me. You work on a lot of projects concurrently and then eventually one of them gets completed. Does that sound correct? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, you know, uh, like with, with Joyce's thing, I turned her down a couple of times and she goes, no, you have to be in this book. And I go, Oh, all right. But I couldn't think of anything. Yeah. And they have categories for us to play with. And she said, well, we have religion versus science. And I went, what? <laughs> now you're talking. <laughs> Great. Now you're talking. Same thing with the Drawing Power book that Diane Newman did. I was going, I'm working on my my graphic novel. I can't do this. Turned her down a couple times. She goes, you've got to do something for mm-hmm. me. Because we, you know, Twisted Sisters we did. And, mm-hmm. and Diane and I have always gotten along really well. And she's very inspiring. And I've been inspired by her work and Aileen Crumb. Mm-hmm. So I started thinking about something that happened to me many, many years ago. And I told a guy I knew a few years ago what happened to me. He treated me like a slut. And I said, okay, now I got a story. Wow. Now I got a story. <laughs> so I did something for drawing power. So while I've been working on happy hour, I've been doing, I mean, when somebody begs you to be in a book like mm-hmm. twice, yeah, that's sort of, you know, it's, it's good, good to be feeling. wanted. It's good to be in demand. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's good you have stories you can draw on. And unfortunately, sometimes they're a little tragic, I hate to say, but they, you know, sometimes inspire the best stories. So, you know. Well, I hope so, because I hated doing that drawing power story. I hated every second of it. (laughs) I, no, I I cried while I was drawing it. I didn't think, I thought I was, I thought I dealt with all the, what had happened to me. I basically was having an affair with this guy and he dosed me with a pill one night and raped me while I was passed. Now, what a kinky guy. I mean, we were already using the wild thing. I mean, mm-hmm. but he had to make it even weirder. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and I hadn't told my husband about this all the, the whole time we were married. Yeah. Because I just didn't want to talk about it. Right. But that's the whole idea of the Me Too movement. When you confide in people about things that happen to you, you're, you're, you're to blame. They, they started signing the blame onto you. And it happens to people all the time. What were you wearing? Yeah. Were you drinking? Well, why did you go to his house? Right. <laughs> what were you thinking? Mm-hmm. Never they, the, the perpetrators never held, you know, to any scrutiny. It's the victim. Right. And that's what that was about. So, so I said, that's why I said, ah, okay, now I got something to write about. 
but it wasn't wasn't pleasant. And yeah. uh, and of course, I had to change the names and the identities of all the people in the story because I don't want to get sued. I do that a lot yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Uh, with this new book, The Happy Hour, there is some some parts where. Um, just out of the blue, some guy called me up. He met a, a gal that I'd gone to school with, and he wanted to. He heard I was playing bass, but I wasn't really good yet. I'd only been playing for about six months, and this guy just came over and took me under his wing and started teaching me. Hmm. And he he wanted to have a band and he wanted me in it, but he I had to get better. And of course, I didn't get good quick enough, and he had to go back to New York. Hmm. And I saw him one more time when we went to New York, and. Um, I have tried to find this guy on the internet to no avail because I would like to use his name to show him, you know, how, what, what he meant to me, but I had to change his last name because I don't know if he's dead or uh, the only, the only clue I got, I finally found uh, his name was Don Manello. Mm -hmm. And there was an article about twisted sisters with T Snyder. And he was talking about a guitar player that he had played with called Don Manello. Well, that's a common Italian name. Anyway, I took a deep breath and emailed D. Snyder. Of course, you think he wrote me back. No way. Uh, Mr. You know, Twisted Sister. Yeah, yeah. Which, of course, I think he stole that name from the comic book, too, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I asked Dave, Diane, when did that come out? Just like Love and Rockets, you know, the, right. the band. And right. that's what, you know, I know David J. Yeah. He used to live here in Encinitas, the guy from Bauhaus. And mm-hmm. then he went to, in Love and Rockets. Yeah, nice guy. Nice chap. <laughs> I agree with you. You kind of wonder, it's like, where did they get that name? I'm sure. It well, I never just... told him about the Hernandez brothers and how they loathed Love and Rockets and made fun of them. Remember that one issue, Love and Rockets, where they have the girls hanging out with those guys and they go, we're with the real Love and Rockets. It's about <laughs> blubby guys that are mm-hmm. just high school guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so on, on all your different work that you're talking about, past and present, do you have a particular way you draw, like, how, how do you, uh, you know, basically, how do you draw? Do you use the same type of ink, same type of pencils, same type of paper, or does it vary from project to project? No, I'm pretty stuck, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of settled in my ways here. Um, okay. I have these, you know, three, uh, the, those binders, those sketchbooks you get at Michael's or Aaron Brothers, <laughs> and um, I, uh, I just pick up one. I don't even, you know, if it's got a blank page, I sketch out the idea. And I just kind of divide the page into six panels to start there because it could be anywhere from a splash page to two panels to nine. It depends on, but when I'm writing, I don't write on a typewriter and I don't write longhand or anything. I write the the thing at the top, you know, the verbiage at the top, mm-hmm. uh, try to write the, 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 the conversation and, and I'll use stick figures. I might just have a circle and a little arrow that says me. Because I want to save my drawing skills and my energy for the board. So all that preliminary sketching and everything, that's, that's my writing. So that doesn't, that doesn't, I don't worry about the art. That'll come later. But I have it all in my mind. So I lay in bed and I can see this kind of movie in my mind of what I want to see. Mm-hmm. And so when I finally get the initial writing done to my satisfaction, then I get out my three-ply Bristol board. And um, for the happy hour, I've got a pile like this where it's all penciled out, you know, nine and a quarter by 11. And I like to work a little larger. 
-hmm. and I take a piece of that uh, Strathmore board is I think it's 22 by 30. So I cut it in four pieces. So it's 11 by 15. Mm. So I get my money's worth. And then I start the penciling um, on the boards. Sometimes I like to pencil the whole chapter. Sometimes I'll just go page by page. Mm. But mostly what happens in my little sketchbook, what's page four will be up to page 12 because I start thinking about all this other stuff that should go in there and pacing. And for me, the, the setting up a story is really important. I mean, you've got to, you can't, you've got to spoon feed people. You can't assume they know what, I mean, you really do have to dumb it down right. at first. And so when I get the pencils done, I make them fairly tight because I can't wing it with a brush and ink. I've tried. Right. My favorite <laughs> art supply is, correction fluid yeah <laughs> and i use it liberally no on pencils you use a blue pencil or a standard oh god no 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 i use those um they're, they're these black pencils that were made famous by that architect uh guy who is that guy that um oh it's called twice twice the darkness half the pressure they're called um they got black erase what are they called oh. <laughs> i always ask this because you know there's magazines mm -hmm. like Hogan's Alley and other people that are like, what do they draw? What do they, you know, which, which arm do you draw with? You know, whatever, you know, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> Man, it's driving me crazy. Ah, oh, here we go. Okay. Here. I call Bolt. Yep. number. Blackwing, yes. <laughs> so too, the eraser sucks. Yeah. But for the penciling, they're, they're fantastic and they're, there are some uses. Yeah, yeah. I went to Comic-Con one year and I gave these to all my favorite people like Peter Cooper and I go, you've got to try this pencil. It's really great. <laughs> and um, so then I, I use uh, Rapidograph pens. I have, you know, the number one, two, two and a half, three, four. And then I have a uh, Raphael. I used to use Windsor Newton number seven brushes, yeah. but they're hard to find now and the Raphaels look just as good as Sable. Yeah. Doesn't matter. And so I've tried to use the brush because you get that undulating line because I used to, <laughs> before I started using brush, I would take the Rapidograph pen and I make two parallel lines that I fill in the black. Oh, wow. And that's a real stiff look. And you can yeah. see in some of my stuff in life of the party where I did that, where I just, I went a little overboard. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I, I uh, use the um, brush and then for the cross hatching, I like to use that number one rapidograph because it's a nice fine little, you know, little fine line. And then uh, very carefully take my white eraser <laughs> and break everything off. And um, a lot of the ink lifts up a little bit, but if you scan at 1200 DPI, you can correct so much. Because then when it shrinks down, it looks perfect. So that's when I can correct all. Yeah, you know, blow it like a, like um, you know, like just a little a little spot like this. I'll blow it up to the size of the screen. Right. <laughs> and then you can you can you, you know that that way you can find all the. I, I get a little obsessive after a while. Like if there's circles, I'll have to get out the pencil tool and make the circle perfect and everything. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. So that's about it. Um. um I don't like, I, I, when I first got my computer in 96, I got a Wacom tablet, hated it. 
Okay, so you're all manual, which is fine. Yeah. Um, but color. Color so, digital. Okay. <laughs> oh, what a gift. Yeah. <laughs> because I used to back paint when you could get stats, which is transparencies with an emulsion layer on of black, yeah. not toner, but <laughs> like a photo, but clear. You, you could back paint like an animation cell with cartoon color uh, cell vinyl paints. Right. So that's what I did for years. And it was really great because then you had a nice piece of art you could sell. Mm -hmm. And that's all gone. Cartoon colors out of business. You can't get stats anymore. I have uh, the Fleener cover. I'm looking at it right now. That was back painted. And I've got one cover of Slutburger. I, I think maybe three pieces left. Wow. <laughs> uh, this uh, obsolete form of coloring. Yeah. So for me, getting on Photoshop, what used to take me four to six hours to do, I can do in like a half an hour. Cool. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's just wonderful. And mm -hmm. I, and I do have a, a formula for color. Uh, when I squint my eyes, the red is dark and the yellow is light. So I always start with yellow and red in areas around. And then I try to put an opposite next to those colors. Mm -hmm. And then when I kind of get, cause I love those old psychedelic posters like that Moscoso used to do and John Hammersmith, Hammersmith. He did that Jimi Hendrix one, the famous, famous Jimi Hendrix psychedelic poster in the hair. Mm -hmm. Hammersfeld or whatever. I, I know um, which one you're talking about. Yeah, I love, I love opposite colors when they get that zzz effect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> messes with your eye. And then, then I'll start adding colors like maybe grays or maybe some tans. Just a little bit in there to make it richer. Mm -hmm. And, um, but... I try to keep the, the fonts to a, a, a minimum because it drives me crazy when you open up the newspaper, look at the comic strips, everybody's got a freaking font, a split font, you know, a gradation <laughs> in every strip. They're using it in place of a background mm -hmm. and it's cheating and it's, it's lazy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and my God, if I see one more digital illustration of that hideous magenta that everybody insists on using that oversaturated magenta I hate, <laughs> hate that color it's just it's very difficult to use purple is another hard color to use it comes across as gray if you're not careful robert williams talks about that in his movie mr bitchin hmm. a purple is a, 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 a weird color did yeah. you see mr bitchin the, the robert no. williams movie? i didn't see a lot of stuff <laughs> i'm missing out well, okay Probably the library. You yeah. know, a lot, it's amazing what the libraries have in, in terms of movies. It's great. Mm -hmm. So that's my that's my that's my secret. Can you draw with your right hand? I see you pulling up your right hand. So are you right? Hand? Right. Okay. My okay. right hand is that I reach for things with my left hand. So I suspect when I was younger they correct. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, I'm, a I'm a lefty, but I always ask people if they draw with the right or left hand because you never think about that, you know. When you, when you see finished art, you know, how did they do that? And that's why, that's why I asked that, because, you know, as an artist myself, I just kind of curious of techniques and things like that. And I'm sure other people watching this would kind of be interested in how you work. So, you know, that's why I have those questions. Well, well, a lot of really, I would say the majority of really creative people are left-handed, I've noticed, in the comic business. Yeah. Um, it, it's not unusual. In fact, it's, it's fairly common. But when I do ceramics, because I do pottery too, you have mm -hmm. to be able to use, you know, you're throwing a pot, you're going up like this. You have to be able, you can't be 
sort of ambi, you know, ambi, ambidextrous. Yeah, well, I'm kind of ambidextrous too. I mean, it's not well, like you can I can piano. I mean, I actually could draw with my right hand if I had to, you know. It's and really? it looks decent. I can write with my right hand, but it looks wow. better with my left hand. So it's like, so uh, I don't do it very often. But I always think, well, if I ever have a stroke or lose my arm. <laughs> Big silly. Yeah, you put the pencil in your mouth. Or, ah, <laughs> ah, ah, ah. There we go. Just a spot. <laughs> That's my new career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, I don't have any other questions right at the moment. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Do you have uh, anything? I always have the guest at the end of the show just kind of, you've already talked about your upcoming projects, but, you know, if you're doing any shows or how they can get a hold of you or if you have anything for sale or anything like that. So go ahead. Website. Okay. Well, I have a website, which is pretty much a, a brag sheet. Um, I, uh, it's www.maryfleener.com. Mm-hmm. And I have on there, my black velvet work, which is like right behind me is a black velvet painting. <laughs> As you can see, which I love. I like doing yes. campy stuff on black velvet. This one's called Our Lady of Oodlesway Offway Oodlesway, which means oodles <laughs> of poodles in pig lap. <laughs> oodles of poodles. And <laughs> 48 by 60 inches. It's a huge canvas. Hmm. So I have a page of those, and then I have a page of the, cover, the covers that I've done for comics, because I love doing covers. Um, yeah. uh, when Craig Yo asked me to do the variant for a Popeye, cover yeah, for EW. I, well, the first idea I gave him, they didn't like it. I go, no, please give me another chance. Give me another chance because <laughs> I got to do this because, and of course it's work for hire because I don't own Popeye, yeah. but it was, that was fun to do. But I, I like I, that I, series. And so I, I did buy your variant and everything else, you know, at the time. So I have it in my collection somewhere. Well, but, there's yeah. a collection now of all the covers. Yeah. I guess they decided to put out, which that would be something I'd like to see. But I, I really screwed up. You know what I left out of the drawing? I didn't put his pipe in his mouth. <laughs> Look at it again. I I I I I was I debating whether I should have him smoking a pipe because you know smoking and all this stuff. And and I just got into the design and I was in a hurry because when Craig said, Well, you got a week to do this if you want to do it. So I was just, you know, jamming away. So anyway, and then I have paintings on there that I've done. It's a series of, of scary goddess paintings, which I'm trying to make. Um, they're real hard-hitting paintings. They're not something you'd see in the library. Uh, they're, they're statements on the human condition, stuff like Our Lady of Perpetual Litigation, Our Lady of Conjoint <laughs> Celebrity, Our Lady of Organized Vituperation, which is my statement on religion. Mm-hmm. And I'm asking a lot of money for those because mm-hmm. I want, I was, my goal was to do 30 of them. I only have eight of them right now, but some of them took a whole year to do, and I'm working on acrylic on canvas, yeah. and um, so it's, you can see, and then there's a little interview that somebody did with me. I'm not really interested in selling art right now. I've, I've sold enough that I've given away, mm. and I've decided now if, if somebody wants one of my comic pages, I'm going to ask a lot of money, yeah, like $500. Yeah. Because uh, I've been doing this long enough to do that. I, I didn't feel I'd had the right to do that before. But um, like like the Billy and B pages, I don't even want to sell. I put so much work into those. I, I want to keep them for 
to show in galleries. And Kim Munson had a couple of shows in Italy this year that uh, featured women cartoonists. And I had a couple of pages in that for that. And they got, um, they made it all the way back, you know, <laughs> so she's, and she's great. And um, I tell you one thing, when I do get this book back, I, okay, we'll go back to that question. I want to get back into pottery because I have a potter's wheel. I have a kiln and um, I like to make functional objects like pot, you know, vases and things like that. And I draw into the clay body with a pencil in my cubistic style. Cool. And then I just rub iron oxide on it and just glaze the inside of the pot. And there's a good reason for that because glaze, if it runs down on the bottom of the pot, it will ruin your kiln shelves. It costs 75 bucks each and you don't want that. <laughs> yeah. It ruins the pot and glaze when it's fired and it's cool. It's like glass. It's real, real sharp. You can cut yourself really easily. And I've sold hundreds of these pottery pieces. People just love them because they're, they're uh, archivals. I mean, it's fired at 2,100 degrees. That pottery is going to be around for 500 years. It's never going to break down. So that's I'm kind of looking forward to get back back into clay because mm -hmm. it's very relaxing and I love I like working with it. Mm -hmm. And aside from that, just look you know practicing my drums and mm -hmm. and uh, you know hopefully maybe in a couple of you know when I start learning instruments is like learning cartooning. It, you won't be really good. Some people take to it right away. I say most people give yourself three to five years. So maybe in two more years, I'll be gig worthy. I can hold my own in a jam right now, yeah. but I'm not, it's not second nature to me like bass guitar. Yeah. Yeah. So you so, want to so be second nature. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. No, you have to, you know, cause when you get on stage, there's all sorts of, you know, after playing in bars and stuff, you, you know, you, there's a lot to deal with when you go into a place where there's alcohol and drunk people and you've got to entertain the, <laughs> You can't be too, you got you to keep that wall up yeah. and be, be professional mm -hmm. because I've had instances where people pulled knives on me and, and I had to clock them with my bass. And I've had instances where I had to take my instrument off and go to the bartender and say, kick this guy out or we're leaving. Mm. Okay. You get pretty hairy. You see, there's two sides to me. There's the comic side and the art side where I was like, please love me, love me, love me. But then when I get that instrument on me, I turn into the bar bitch. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I feel it. I can feel my personality change. It's a damnedest thing. Yeah. You know, but. Well, I mean, I've seen it with like Pete Townsend and with Keith Richards. It's like once, you know, once they're playing, you know, this is my territory. This is my turf. Stay away from me or I'll bat you with my guitar, you know. Oh, my God. <laughs> Have you ever seen that clip of Keith Nick clocking that guy? Jagger's doing satisfaction. He's wearing the flag. Oh, that yeah. guy comes up and he just goes. Oh, yeah yeah he talks about it yeah he's like hey you don't come around my singer oh wow <laughs> you know? boy, boy. yeah yeah I, i'm a big fan of keith i i um i love uh talk is cheap his first solo album oh, yeah. he's the only only stone that ever made a good solo album bill wyman eh. <laughs> dagger let's just forget he did that uh, yeah now keith's great he's my he's a great guy great chap I would like yes. to meet him someday, but I probably won't. Yeah. You ever met him? I have not met him. The only stone I've ever met in person, I've seen the stones in concert, but the only one I've met sure. in person is Ron Wood. Because he did, oh. back in the 90s, he did an art book himself because he's a yeah, painter. Yeah, he's a great yeah. artist. And, yeah. you know, it was a bookstore signing, and he signed his name with a big nose, you know, 
<laughs> you know, Ron would, and he'd just put a little caricature of himself with a big nose, you know, I thought, perfect, you know. Um, and uh, if you haven't listened to it, you know, it's uh, Keith Richards' uh, autobiography, the audio version called Life, you know. Yes, read big, the book. You know, if, you, if you listen to the audio version, he has Johnny Depp read part of it, but he has this Irish guy read part of it, and it, it's just <laughs> really entertaining, and it, you know, so, you know, it's worth seeking out to listen to, even if you've already read it, you know, because it's just a very entertaining listen. So <laughs> I recommend the audio book. So. <laughs> yeah, and, Keith, and Keith does an introduction himself, so you could hear He it. does? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. So, well, I'm going to check yeah, that out. Yeah, I, would, so. I read it through really quickly because I wanted to, you know, I was just devouring it. I usually yeah. have to read books twice. I, I always want to see what happens at the end, and then I have to reread it. Right, you know, right. Yeah. You know. It, but it I mean, I, I didn't dislike Keith, but it made me appreciate him a lot more because for some reason, especially when I first became a fan, it was back in the 70s, I just saw his Mick Jagger and whoever was in the room. And of course, that was around the time Keith Richards was having his drug problems. So he yeah. wasn't being very uh, helpful with the band much anyway. You know, yeah. I think he yeah, had to do some special gigs to keep out of jail and things like that. So, yeah. you know, uh, but, you know, now he's more productive and you know he's done the solo albums and stuff like that and uh you know so yeah i appreciate him a lot more i'm glad he's still around you know you, you just lost charlie but you know it happens you know we all you know eventually but um i don't know where we're going with this i was just asking you to promote so the last yeah, question i guess we're is, groupies. Uh, <laughs> face that we're groupies <laughs> um <laughs> All right, yeah, um, right. So you're not doing the San Diego show this year, but do you think you'll do no. it in 2022, or uh, is that sound soon enough, or you're not sure, or any show? Nothing. No, Nothing planned. That's fine because yeah, I I ask people all the time, and it's funny. I I started this podcast in 2018, and you know, it's times before the pandemic, and everybody's like, yeah, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, blah, 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 blah. and then it's funny when well, I was going to do this show and this show and this show but now they're all canceled and i don't know and then i i got to the point where i stopped asking people you know just saying what are you doing yeah. while you're not because i knew but now it's kind of like some people go out other people don't you know it's like you know it's it's kind of a interesting transitionary time now you know to see where things go i you know for me i'm fully vaccinated just got the booster so i'm like not like yeah, i'm too. gonna go run out to the big crowd and you know no. You know, to uh, what's it called, Lollapalooza or one of those shows? Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, summer break or spring break or whatever. But you know, at the same time, you know, I I don't feel uncomfortable like going to a restaurant or something now, things like that. You know, whereas well, the problem with the Comic Con this year was that Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah. Um, with the borders have been opened in Mexico and Canada. Yeah. And we are about half an hour from Tijuana. Oh yeah. And every weekend, the family, you know, people, it starts on Friday where people from Mexico are either going down to Mexico, see families, or they're coming up here. And then yeah. Sunday, it's like gridlock on the freeways. And Thanksgiving will be a nightmare. Well, I don't, I mind you. I don't blame you for being cautious right now anyway. So, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. the other factor is just driving down there. It would take me. I mean, I've been stuck in traffic trying to get to downtown San Diego. It took me like an hour and a half, two hours. Yeah. And then there's a train you can take. But unfortunately, in Del Mar, the cliffs are falling. Yeah. And I'm not going to set foot on that train 
and go go by that. I mean, you can you can look right down. You can see right down at the yeah. surf, and it's hairy. And now the cliffs are eroding. I think the tracks are twelve feet from the edge now. I ain't getting on that train. Wow. No way, no way. <laughs> and uh, so, and then you know, uh, I was thinking maybe going to see my mom because you know she's ninety nine now. She's going to be a hundred on January first. So. Uh, I, I think I might go a day or two before and then, you know, wait a little bit, but no, it was out of the question to, to do that. I, I, yeah. uh, I know Mimi Pond and uh, Scott Shaw, Scott saw, I mean, no, Scott Shaw <laughs> exclamation point. They're going and yeah. last gasp isn't going to be there. And I don't know if fanographics is going. So, um, I know they, they wanted to, you know, people, the, you know, people wanted to do something. And Comet Fest, which is a little smaller version, right. I think that might happen next year. Usually is February. Yeah, that's when we all, the last time we all got together in the comic thing here in San Diego was March 8th of 2000, of 2020. Wow. <laughs> and so we all went out to dinner and there was nobody in the restaurants in Kearney Mesa. Wow. So that, and, and we were all, and everybody was washing their hands and everything. And couple thousand people and nobody got sick so that was the good news but that was the last time we saw you know trina and, and jackie estrada um will stout um but, uh, bill sent sent kivitz anyway the peenies were there the yeah. elfquest yeah. people it was yeah. a big variety and it's a really neat little uh, thing the comic fest because it's small and you can actually talk to people and it's not right. like the you know the background for the you know, Marvel DC with their boom, boom, boom. Yeah, boom, yeah. Boom. I've been oh. meaning to go to that one, but I moved to Oregon six years ago. Now, I, I probably, I'm thinking about moving back to California again, probably in the middle of the state somewhere. So that'll free me up that I could actually make it down to San Diego because right now it takes like, I don't know, 15, 20 hours or something. It's like, bah, you know. Are you near Bend? Uh, west of Bend. I'm in the exact. If you threw a dart and hit right bullseye, I know, I heard that's that. where Eugene Springfield. I'm in the uh, Simpsons Springfield, so it's like yeah, I have the draining okay. connection here. So, <laughs> well, that's yeah. where our drummer moved. He moved to Bend because he's a young guy and he wanted to you know start you know get a. Yeah. Do I went different. to. Oh, this is an aside, but I went to Bend about two months ago, and they had the very last blockbuster video, and there's even a movie about that. So uh, it's really operating owned, you know it's still uh, owned and operated by uh who owns blockbuster video it's the final only one open and you know they don't know how long it'll last but that's the last one yeah there oh were some God. in alaska and they closed and there's some in australia <laughs> and they closed so the, the last one's in bend oregon it's funny holy cow and it's it's like time machine because it's looked it looks the same as they always did, except it has the current movies out, so that's the only yeah. difference, you know, but they still have a lot of older movies, you know, on the shelves and stuff, but they still, the only difference is if you see the documentary, uh, since they're not supplied by the, the corporate owner anymore, she has to yeah. go and buy her own treats like at uh, Walmart <laughs> or Costco, you know, <laughs> to or... sell, to resell to people who come to Blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wanted to ask you. Yes. Did have you seen that movie about Bill Wyman called the the uh, Stone Alone or something like that? No, I didn't know there was one about him. The, the most recent one I've seen is uh, the one that was about the death of Brian Jones. So, 
I'm watching oh. a lot of Stone stuff now, so I'll have to look that one up. So I'm definitely interested. So. <laughs> well, they talk about how he's he's an archivist. He he saved every file. Oh, I knew that. I knew that. Every yeah. article. I mean, it's incredible. I'm so happy he did that. And he and you know, yeah, I, I could say a final thing. I I would encourage everybody. And, and you're not being an egotist by doing this. Um, I started 20 years ago a scrapbook for my dad yeah. and to, to show him what I'd been doing. And so I cut out every article, every interview, pictures, everything. And that yeah. sucker is about this thick right now. Yeah. And I'm so glad I did that yeah. because, um, uh, you know, and of course, I've got a pile of stuff where I've got to glue it in there. And they don't make these scrapbooks anymore. Everything's, you know, everything's thinner and stuff. But it was the old-fashioned one where you could put the extenders in there and screw yeah. them together. And um, I think everybody should do that. I, if anyone's listening to this, think about that. Because, yeah. you know, if you're a musician, you make CDs and you, you record your practices and your rehearsals and things like that. And and I think cartoonists and artists really owe it to themselves to uh, archive the, the press they get. Because yeah. nobody's going to do it for you. I try to keep a copy, at least one copy of every article that has been published of mine, mainly Good. Back Issue magazine. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have copies of every fanzine I've ever published, I have copies of every book I've ever published, you know, or written and stuff like that. So at least I get, get that. I don't get much press, unfortunately. I mean, I get a lot of passing mention on internet. I guess I can print stuff out and just hold on to it. But, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, but I did get mentioned in the New York Times about a week ago. David DePatty passed away, and the guy uh, who was doing the obituary called me up and asked me a few questions because I wrote a Pink Panther book a few years ago. And, uh -huh. uh, so I'm, I've been in the New York Times. <laughs> yeah, well, so, make sure you get everything in, in plastic bags. Yeah, so I did have to go out and buy a copy. So <laughs> there we go. <laughs> no, you, that's good. That's good. I'm getting there. Yeah. In the meantime, yeah, I'm doing these podcasts and, you know, I keep copies, backup copies in case YouTube or uh, Automatic takes a, a bust. At least I have copies of it and everything like that. And, you know, I keep it out there free of charge because I know people want to hear from you. And, you know, I've interviewed Peter Bag. I'm You mentioned Trina. I'm going to interview her in about a week or two. And uh, so I'm trying to make my rounds uh, talking to various people in the comic book world. Of course, the music world. Of course, the animation world. So. You know, it's been fun. Yeah, no, it's, it's fantastic. I, I really look forward to re uh, hearing the other interviews you did. And uh, Pete, I just, I picked up a used uh, collection of The Hate, the complete mm -hmm. one, two, and three books. Mm -hmm. And I'd only bought maybe six of the copies of Hate. And boy, the first two, it is, I, I never realized what a good writer Pete was. Yeah. I mean, I want to write him a fan letter, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want it to go to his head. <laughs> also, that book he did about Zora Neale Hurston. I thought I was a big expert on Zora Neale Hurston, and that book he did, Fire, Out of This World. It's really, really good. Yeah. And he, he does his drawing style, but it's not the, the lunatic, you know, like Buddy Bradley kind right. of stuff. It's still, you can tell it's Pete. Right. And, yeah, he really he, he really did well with that. I was very impressed. Yeah. So, so if you go to the archives... There's an episode with him. Yeah, oh, good, good. And others. So, yeah, just take a look. But um, uh, if there's nothing else, uh, I don't have any other questions, but it was a pleasure having you on the show, Mary. And, okay. you know. May I recommend one person that you should interview? <laughs> okay. Okay, and I'll, and I'll shut up.
Uh, there's a guitar player that plays with Todd Rundgren named Jesse Gress. Jesse Gress. Jesse, G-R-E-S-S. And if you go on Facebook, there's a page called Jesse Gress is a King. <laughs> and he, I met him when I did um, the, the Cucamongas, and I had the little character, the Zodiac Tiki guy playing a flute, and I had some sheet music on there, and I said, when, this was a contest, can you name the song? And he wrote me, and he guessed it was Hawaiian War Chant, he was. Turns out he did all the charts for Guitar Player Magazine for popular songs and wow. musician, and he plays with Todd Rundgren. Oh, wow. I did the cover for his book, The Guitar Cookbook, and he did two of them, and I was lucky enough to do number one. Anyway, this guy had a lung transplant this year. He had pneumonia, and he's back on stage playing. Wow. It's a, he, and great guy, really interesting. Um, I would like to hear his whole story because he's uh, – I've seen him twice here locally at the Belly Up when he played with Rundgren, and he's – you know, Rundgren's lucky to have him. Let's put it that way. So if you go to YouTube, he's all over the place and he's all over Facebook. So yeah, I wrote him down when we were talking here. So Good. I will I will look him up. <laughs> all right. Well, Mark, it's been a pleasure. All right. I thank you very much. Okay. And uh, this concludes another episode of the Fun Ideas Podcast. And join us next time. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Mary Fleener, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 140 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Danny Salazi of The Characters, and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2021 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you, and good night.